Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we'll be looking in verses 30 through 44 today. Let me reiterate what Keith mentioned this morning, that uh, we do have a Good Friday service. It should be around an hour long. Um, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, that evening, and so I encourage you to join us as we remember the Lord's payment for our sins. This morning, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, let's look at uh, Mark 6 as we continue our study into the book of Mark, uh, beginning at verse 30. Hear the word of the Lord. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the gra green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is God's inerrant word. Let's uh, ask for his help as we start today. Uh, Lord Jesus, I pray you'd send your spirit among us afresh and that he would uh, uh, illumine uh, your word, that he would open our eyes and hearts to what you have to say to us today. Uh, we need your strength to do this, and so please give us that grace uh, to hear and see your truth. Strengthen me, Lord, my voice and my mind, and help me to preach clearly today. Lord, we pray that you would have your hand over our gathering this morning and that you would feed us and nourish us with your truth. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. One of my favorite books on sheep and shepherding is called Sammy and His Shepherd. It's meant to be a children's book. Um, I did read it to Sophie when she was little. 
but quite honestly, I think I enjoyed it maybe more than she did. Um, we purchased this from Ligonier, and I think it's published by their uh, publishing arm. It's based on Psalm 23, which is what makes it so great, and it tells a story of a lamb named Sammy. Uh, Sammy's, uh, Sammy lives in a pasture. Uh, it tells the story of another lamb also who lives in the pasture next to Sammy. Sammy is uh, one of the main characters. He's healthy, well cared for by his shepherd. His shepherd provided him everything that he could possibly need. The other lamb in the pasture next to his was a pathetic little thing. Uh, her shepherd hadn't even given her name, uh, given her a name, and so Sammy called her my friend. Her pasture didn't have enough to eat. Uh, she was always hungry, very skinny, flies constantly buzzing around her head and a very poor water supply, pushed around, butted by other sheep as we just read about in Ezekiel. She did not have a shepherd who cared for her and provided her, uh, provided for her. She did not have a good shepherd. That's not the kind of shepherd that Mark describes in the feeding of the thousand, five thousand. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I, I didn't even know Mark described a shepherd in the feeding of the five thousand. We don't often read it with that. Uh, point of view. I mean, sure, there's a mention of sheep without a shepherd, but other than that, we don't we don't think of it as as a, as a um, an account of a shepherd. But it is. And Mark gives us several clues throughout this, pointing to Jesus as the shepherd of Israel, the good shepherd, uh, the one who fulfills what we just read in Ezekiel. He shall feed them, and be their shepherd. Mark describes Jesus as, as the good shepherd. And there are three characteristics that Mark points out to us of the good shepherd in these verses. And as we look at these three characteristics, you might ask yourself, what kind of shepherd do I have? Is my shepherd like this, Sammy, uh, Sammy's shepherd? See Sammy at the top there, green pasture, cared for. Or is my shepherd like the one next door at the bottom of the picture? Lousy water, no, not enough to eat. What is this good shepherd like that Mark describes to us? Well, I mentioned three characteristics. Let's take a look at these. The first characteristic that he shows us is the compassion of the shepherd. When Jesus sees the crowd, he was deeply affected because they were like sheep with no shepherd. And let me mention two things about his compassion. Uh, first, we see his compassion for his disciples. He displays compassion for the 12. We see this at the beginning. Look at verse 30 again. The apostles, uh, that is the 12, returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Earlier in the chapter, we saw Jesus send out these men uh, to the remote areas of Galilee where they uh, preached the good news of the kingdom. They healed those that were sick, cast out demons. And now they've come back from their first mission 
um, mission trip, if you would uh, like. And uh, they report to Jesus all that's happened. And we, we see here that their, their mission was well received. It was successful. So successful that, that people won't let them out of their sight. If you glance down towards the end of verse 31, it says, For that many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They, they simply wouldn't leave the twelve alone. This is the reason for Jesus' display of compassion. They came back, no doubt, exhausted from uh, the work. Uh, and they could not even find uh, time to grab a bite because people kept trying to get close to them and close to Jesus. So out of his compassion, out of his concern, Jesus says in verse 31, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Uh, the place they're headed to is important. I want you to take note that they're headed to a desolate place. Uh, this is not necessarily a desert, as the King James indicates, if you're holding one of those. But it's an uninhabited and uncultivated area. There were, it, was, it was deserted, but it was not quite a desert, because there's green grass later on. Perhaps the best word to use is wilderness. Jesus was taking them to the wilderness, and that's an important word in the Old Testament. And Mark will bring this up later on as well. He mentions this three times. So the shepherd shows compassion, first of all, for his men, for the disciples. But then I want you to see next that he shows compassion for the crowd. He shows his great concern for the crowd. And look with me at verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on, on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Uh, evidently, the crowd could see Jesus and his disciples. Uh, Jesus and his men decided to travel by boat to this wilderness area. They're not crossing uh, the Sea of Galilee, like uh, we've seen before. A few chapters ago, we saw them uh, traveling from the area of Capernaum to Gergesa. Uh, this time, they're somewhere in this area, and they're going up uh, near the area of Bethsaida. And we know that because Luke tells us in his account. They're just cutting off a corner of the, of, of the Sea of Galilee. And apparently, uh, they're, they're able to be seen by the crowd, and Apparently it's slow going for the boat. Maybe the wind's against them. Whatever reason, the people on foot get there ahead of them. And know what happens when the boat arrives. This is in verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. Uh, this term compassion I want to draw your attention to because it, it also is, is quite important. When this verb is used in the New Testament, it's always Jesus having compassion. Uh, always him uh, showing compassion. And the word means you, you have an idea of what compassion is, but uh, in the Greek world, uh, it meant to be deeply affected in your inner being, especially in your bowels. That's where they believed mercy and compassion came from. That was often the case in the ancient world. Uh, this is, 
word describes a stirring in your inner organs. David said something similar in Psalm 139. He said, you have, you formed my inward parts in Psalm 139, 13. And literally he's saying, for you formed my kidneys. And the Hebrews thought that, uh, again, those inner organs were where their emotional life came from. David wasn't talking about his kidneys. Uh, and uh, Jesus is not, Mark is not talking about Jesus' stomach. It's where they believed uh, emotions came from. And thus arriving upon the shore, Jesus is deeply moved and affected by the crowd. He is stirred with compassion. Um, the rest of verse 34 tells us what stirs up this compassion. It goes on to say, uh, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson points out here that from, from the boat looking onto the shore that people in white tunics and off-white tunics and maybe tan tunics against the green grass of that area probably looked like a very large flock of sheep. Except there was no order. There was no discipline. There was no leadership uh, for these sheep. They were all milling around the shore. And, and according to Jesus' comment, they lacked order. No one directed them. Uh, something the priests were supposed to provide, they were not providing. And this very phrase Mark uses here, the words that were breathed out by God's Spirit, are very nearly what the way that Moses describes Israel in the book of Numbers. So there's, there's a, he's doing something with, with this reference here. In Numbers 27, it says, um, Moses is praying for a leader who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be a sheep that have no shepherd. And Mark uses this phrase here to point out that Jesus will fulfill this picture that Moses describes. Jesus will be this shepherd of Israel. And like the good shepherd he is, he immediately provides uh, Israel's greatest need, new Israel's greatest need, spiritual nourishment in verse 34 at the end says this, and he began to teach them many things. Isn't that odd? We wouldn't do that, would we, these days? Throw up some tables and, and call Domino's and get some food over here pronto. He addresses, he addresses what is most important. I mean, he would know, knowing all things as he does. Am I right? Do you believe he's omniscient, all-knowing? And, and what does he do? And we would, many of us would think this odd. He begins to teach them many things. Jesus stands up and begins to uh, share the word with them to provide the direction and leadership that they so desperately, desperately need. So we see, secondly, Jesus' compassion for the crowd. And he is deeply moved by the crowd. And, and 
the crowd who desperately needs to be fed and nourished spiritually. So this is the compassion that the, that the good shepherd displays. Compassion for his disciples and then the crowd. Does your shepherd show this kind of compassion to you? Does he feed you with spiritual food? Listen to what Jesus said in John 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You do have a shepherd, whether you know it or not. And the Bible describes two that we follow. There's no third. There's no middle ground. It's, either, it's an either or, true or false, fish or cut bait. It's either Jesus or the thief. What's your shepherd like? And I'm not sure if you realize it, but this compassion that Jesus shows first his men and then to the crowd is the compassion he shows to all those who follow them, follow him. He is deeply moved by those who claim his name. And I don't know if you agree with that. I don't know if that's been your experience. If it's not been your experience that you have known his compassion, then I would suggest you need to get to know the shepherd better. Because that is what he's like. And that's what God the Father's like. It's not that Jesus is the, the kind one and God the Father is the angry one. That's an old mistake that people often think. The Father is really angry and Jesus came to cool him off by dying for us on the cross. That's not true. Jesus said, I, I say only the things my Father told me to say. And so we know that God the Father's heart is equally compassionate. Well, this is the compassion of the shepherd, and that's one characteristic. But Mark goes on to describe a second characteristic of the good shepherd. Uh, the second thing that we find, the second characteristic he describes is the provision of the shepherd. Uh, when the disciples are unable to feed the crowd, Jesus miraculously feeds them. And let me point out three things to you about this provision here. Uh, first we find is the need, and it is great. The crowd's been nourished spiritually, and now they need to be fed physically. Look at verse 35. Uh, with me. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Scholars believe that this took place in the springtime. It mentions green grass in just a couple of verses further down. And if it is springtime, then sunset would have been around 6 p.m. And perhaps now it's about four, and the disciples have the presence of mind to realize that evening is approaching quickly, 
and these people all need to eat, and they all need to eat soon. So they tell Jesus what any deacon board would naturally say, Lord, how are these people going to eat? You better send them away so they can find food. Shut this down so we can send them out. This is this, this need, and, and considering the number of people there, it says 5,000 men, but we, we believe that with women and children, it was around 20,000 people. Lord, how are we going to feed these people? Get rid of them. Send them off. So we see this massive need. But then next we see the inadequacy of Jesus' disciples. The, they're completely unable. Uh, and they get the shock of their life in verse 37. And notice this, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And it's very emphatic, you, you, you yourselves give them something to eat. You, I mean you guys feed them. You need to feed the flock. And look at their response as verse 37 goes on. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? You want us to go out and spend eight months of wages? All, about two-thirds of a year's salary buy bread for 20,000 people and feed it to them? I think they're really snapped back, feeling overburdened by this responsibility. And I think you and I also snap back, don't we? Lord, what are you thinking? How, how do you expect me to do this? Lord, this is way more than I can handle. You know that. You know how pathetic I am with this stuff. Why don't you give this to somebody else? And Jesus asked them to find out how much food they actually have. And they managed to scrape together five barley loaves and two salted fish. And this uh, we see in verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, with their heads hanging, five and two fish. They were angry at first, but now, now they're humiliated, and they have to confess that they're, they're, they're not even remotely capable of feeding a crowd like this. For once, Peter's mouth is shut. You know, he, he can't even think of a way to do it. He who, he who would walk on the water at Jesus' call, they all realize they're, they're completely inadequate to meet this massive need of feeding the crowd. And that, I always think, is exactly the point that God wants you and me to get to. When you simply acknowledge to the Lord, I cannot do this. I simply cannot do this. And when you acknowledge your inadequacy to him, that is actually when he begins to use us. 
that, that we confess we're not able of doing anything to meet our own need. It is when we are completely and utterly dependent on him, like his men are here, that he, he, he uses our inadequacy to accomplish his purpose. Consider this. This reveals that this is exactly what he's up to in, in a well-known verse, John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet you and I struggle to reach at that point of the underlying phrase. Surely there's something. And Christ says, without me, you can't do anything. Consider how Paul says this in a slightly different way from 2 Corinthians. This is again familiar. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Uh, the best guess is that Paul is describing something having to do with his eyesight, his vision. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And yet we find it so hard to arrive at that last phrase, we don't want to be weak. We want to think like we can accomplish whatever it is we need to accomplish. I mean, especially for guys, you know, guys struggle with this. I'm a man after all. You know, there's nothing I can't handle. Huh. Really? Well, you throw down that phrase before the Lord and, and buckle up. You think you can't handle that? You, or you think you can handle that? Watch. And he will bring you to uh, the place that he said in John 15, uh, John 15, 5, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And Paul went on to say, therefore I will uh, boast all the more, uh, more gladly of my weaknesses. Uh, I've never, I'm afraid, gotten to that point. Hey, you want to hear how weak I am? Uh, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And this is exactly where he's got his men. This is exactly the point he brings us to, to reveal our inadequacy to, to us. The second thing we see is the inadequacy of his men. They can't do a thing. Five barley loaves and two fish for 20,000 people. Talk about a nightmare. But then I want you to see what comes next, and that's the provision. Ah, where did it go? The, there it is. The provision of the shepherd. Um, Jesus miraculously supplies what his sheep need, and, and we see this in verse 39. Then he commanded them, all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Mark's choice of words, so important here. They're, they're in the wilderness after all. Again, it doesn't mean it's a desert. It, it, it's, a, it's just a wild place. And he sits them down on the green grass. 
It's very similar to what David wrote in Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And Mark is using this on purpose uh, to show Jesus as the fulfillment of the shepherd David describes. Jesus is the shepherd of Israel. And then look at verse 40. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. <laughs> there, are, there are all kinds of clues here. This is how Israel was organized in Exodus 18. And uh, another clue that Jesus is fulfilling the role that Moses spoke of, the, the prophet like him that would come after him. Mark is portraying Jesus as the shepherd of, of, of new Israel. And so anybody with uh, any familiarity with the Old Testament would read this and think, hmm, oh, he's the shepherd. And then note his provision for the sheep. Taking the, verse 41, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Not to be flippant, this is far greater than anything the ladies in the kitchen do during vacation Bible school. He feeds them all. He feeds them all. Again, I think Mark is trying to say something here about Jesus, that he's the shepherd that provides for his sheep. This is miraculous provision. They, he just keeps breaking the bread and, and, and just keeps breaking. There are some ridiculous ideas uh, put forth by uh, unbelieving uh, scholars uh, who, who say the disciples were behind him passing the bread through the sleeves of his tunic. I mean, kind of like a Captain Nemo kind of thing, except with bread, if you've... Never mind. Um, <laughs> that they had the food stashed in a nearby cave and did the, oh, what's that over there? And, you know, uh, I don't know how, what they were thinking. I, it sounds absurd to me. But Jesus miraculously demonstrates that he's the good shepherd that provides for his, his sheep. Listen to our daily bread. It gives an example of this kind of provision in one of their uh, devotions. They write about a Reverend and Mrs. G. Christian Weiss. It says they lived entirely by faith when they were engaged in home missionary work in northern Minnesota. Now that's a calling, isn't it? One winter, when the snows were unusually thick and their supplies unusually thin, Mrs. Weiss set a bowl of boiled potatoes on the table. This is it, she said. It was the last, their last provisions. And without complaining, they bowed their heads and her husband gave thanks, asking God to supply their future needs. And suddenly they'd heard a sharp knock at the door. And there at the door was the wife of the manager of the ranger station. And she kind of stammered for a minute and kind of embarrassed. And finally she said, we were expecting a crew of workers today, but they phoned to say they're not able to get through 
I have a big dinner prepared for them, and my husband and I will never be able to eat all that food before it spoils. Would you come over and have dinner with us? They quickly consented and shortly sat down for a second time that night, but now they send grace over a feast of roast duck, vegetables, pie, and all the trimmings. And you've had that happen to you probably a time or two. Where did that come from? I could tell you an account or two from, from our lives. What? Uh, the birth of our youngest daughter is a notable case, a, a notable example. This is how God provides for his sheep. Are you his sheep? Then I can't guarantee this is what will happen to you, but he will, he will provide what you need because he's that kind of shepherd. He feeds the sheep, gives them what they need. We go on from the provision of the shepherd. Third, I want you to note the satisfaction of the shepherd. And, and by that, I mean the kind of satisfaction and contentment that the shepherd gives his sheep. And I want to mention two things about this satisfaction. Um, uh, first, I want you to know how he satisfies the crowd. Uh, in verse uh, 42, it says, And they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. It's interesting, this word satisfied is actually used with livestock. It means to feed or, or, or to fill with grass, to fatten an animal. And again, we have this uh, image of sheep uh, coming to the front as, as Mark Wright uses this word. It's also used with people, and, and it means to eat your fill of something, to be filled to satisfaction. Uh, Jesus fully satisfied the physical hunger of the crowd. I mean, wrap your head around it, 20,000 people, and there's no one left who's thinking, I wonder if they serve seconds here, because they're all satisfied. And they could have eaten more, we'll see in, in a moment. They're full. And as I mentioned, it's a large crowd, verse 44. Those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Mark, uh, excuse me, Matthew adds that, uh, he says, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And those two groups would have been sitting in separate places because of their tradition of listening. And, and so the women and children on one side, the men on the other, there could have been 20,000 people present. But it's worth noting what 42 says, they all ate and were satisfied. There were enough meatballs to go around, if you'll pardon the expression. I, I think I got a half a meatball last month. And, and pause for, with me for a minute and think how similar this is to the Lord providing manna for Israel. Where? In the wilderness. They're in the wilderness. And just as the Lord sent the manna from heaven, so the Lord provides uh, through his shepherd. Uh, 
Exodus says this, and the people of Israel gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, that's some unit of measurement, uh, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Israel was satisfied at the moment, we should add. Jesus describes himself as the bread that came down from heaven in John chapter 6. The spiritual bread that men and women can take and find satisfaction, just as Jesus says here also in John 6, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Pastor Rob, I'm so thirsty. I'm so hungry. Then friend, you need to get to know the shepherd better and draw near to him. The shepherd satisfies the crowd. They're full. He satisfied their physical hunger, but it's not just the crowd that's satisfied because again, we see that he focuses in on his disciples again and they're satisfied too. Look at verse 43. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. After the crowd is fed, uh, John tells us in his, uh, his account that the disciples were instructed to go out and pick up the leftovers. And the result was that there were 12 baskets full of broken pieces and fish. Each of, of those men uh, would be holding physical, tangible evidence that Christ's provision in their inadequacy was more than enough. They were holding evidence of what Jesus had accomplished. They knew the scale of this miracle. And this is a lesson that for them would have gone on for days. One scholar points out that the 12 would have taken these baskets with them and the leftovers would have been used for days to come. And, and just think, as each day they reached into the basket for uh, a scrap left over from, from uh, this meal, they'd be reminded again where the scraps of food came from. And that day on the hillside, they came from the hand of their shepherd, Jesus. And for the next several days, they'd be reaching into that basket and, and drawing. Yeah, it was probably dry by now, but they remembered Jesus made this. This salty fish still tastes okay. But Christ provided it. This is how God's word calls you and me to look to our shepherd for his provision in our inadequacy. Listen to Ephesians 3. It's one of my favorite verses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Uh, another version says, than all we ask or imagine. This is not dreaming about a jaguar and having it show up in your driveway. Uh, you probably don't even like jaguars. Uh, but this is not about that kind of thing. It's just beyond your thinking what he is able to do. A meal for 20,000 people. Emotional strength to deal with your children. 
emotional strength to deal with your parents. The physical energy to do your job. The physical energy to be a mom. Not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, the Holy Spirit. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen. We see that the shepherd satisfied his disciples by providing this food that would last for days to come. This is, this is the satisfaction the shepherd gives, first to the crowd and then to his men. So again, what kind of shepherd do you have? Do you have a shepherd like Sammy? One that cares for you, one that provides for you in your times of complete inadequacy? Or do you have a shepherd like his friend down there at the bottom, similar to the thief in John 10 that comes to steal and kill and destroy? Mark gives us three characteristics of Jesus, the good shepherd, in this account of the feeding of the 5,000. Mark describes Christ and, and the compassion of the shepherd for his sheep, how he is moved intensely by their need. He describes the provision of the shepherd and how he, he provides in our, in our extreme in, in inadequacy. And lastly, uh, the satisfaction of the shepherd, how he, he provides all that we need. Not necessarily all that we want, but all that we need, he provides. Who's your shepherd this morning? Have you given your life to Christ? Is he the good shepherd, the one who leads and provides for you? Or is your shepherd somebody else? The choices are small, and they're not good. The other shepherd will, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I plead with you today, if Christ is not your shepherd, that you would make him your shepherd. And I would be very happy to talk to you after the service about how to make that happen. I'll be sitting right down here. And you can talk to me or one of the elders about how to make Jesus your good shepherd. Some of you have already done that. And some of you are, are you've lived long enough to where you're a little suspicious of your shepherd. What is this shepherd doing? I don't like what my shepherd is doing. Because even though you're walking through the valley of deep darkness, as David describes, you're not crazy. Anybody crazy about the valley of darkness? About the valley of the shadow of death? Who is? And don't we all experience those times of, of, of shaking our heads? What is he doing? And for those of us thinking that, we need to get to know our shepherd better. We need to get to know our shepherd better and see him as this compassionate shepherd that is moved, moved by the needs of his people and cares deeply for them. Father, take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and make them acceptable in your sight.
Jesus, I pray that you would press into our hearts the truth of, of the way you shepherd us. Thank you for laying down your lives on the cross for the sheep, Christ Jesus. Thank you for your provision for our needs, uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Oh, Christ Jesus, help us to, to follow you as our shepherd, to, to know you and what you are like. And even though your ways are at times dark and scary, help us to trust you in the darkness. Oh, Savior, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.